Welcome, everyone, to episode 22 of the It Matters to Me podcast. I'm your host, Adam Casey, and today my guest is Robbie Ballinger, a professional ultra runner whose accomplishments such as run across America and breaking the world record for running the most number of loops around Central Park in New York City are almost too impressive to list. Robbie kicks things off by explaining how he evolved into the phenomenal runner he is today from an unlikely childhood where he was often a mischievous kid who played football and counter to his current athletic demands, was an offensive lineman. He also talks about how the first real intro into running came later in life, when he was living in Austin, Texas, and his girlfriend invited him on a run. That moment became a catalyst for him to leap behind his hard party and lifestyle and take his health and fitness much more seriously. Most notably was transitioning to a plant-based diet over the years out of personal and environmental concerns. We then get into his most recent feat, something called the Colorado Crush, an adventure that included the Leadville Trail Marathon, traversing the Colorado Trail, the Leadville Silver Rush 50-miler, summiting all 58 peaks over 14,000 feet in Colorado, and then, you know, the Leadville Trail 100-miler in just a measly 63 days. Robbie then details how the motivation to do the Colorado Crush was born out of a necessity to reconnect with his active personality during a time when the COVID pandemic was forcing him and his job to become more sedentary. Now this one's not just for runners, but it does have some great advice on how to handle a race or a big physical event being over and the importance of finding a way to always be active. Now our conversation does get into the mental health side of ultra running a little bit more than some other episodes, but I didn't want to shy away from that because I sincerely think it's important those discussions are out in the public view. Robbie was someone I've been hoping to have on the show for a while, and I'm so thankful he was able to open up the way he did. He proved to be yet another irrevocably good dude, and couldn't have been more gracious and friendly. So, enough of me talking. Let's get to it. Here's my talk with Robbie Ballinger. All right, Robbie, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Now, you know, before we get into anything, and, uh, you know, I've just been so excited to, have, to you know, to, to have you on the show because running is definitely uh, something I love to geek out on. Um, but before we get into that, one way I like to kind of intro the guests for listeners uh, on a more personal level is by asking a kind of quirky question. Um, and it's, if I had the opportunity to embarrass you in front of all of our friends by telling stories about young Robbie growing up, what kinds of stories would I tell? <clears throat> um, I was definitely, it wouldn't be too hard. I'll tell you that. Uh, I was, uh, you know, um, very outgoing, very charismatic uh, kid, especially in high school. Um, rambunctious, got in a lot of trouble. Uh, if I wasn't getting in trouble, it was because I wasn't getting caught. Um, just, uh yeah, you wouldn't have to you wouldn't have to dig too deep, I don't think. I think over the years I've settled down quite a bit, but um I think I still have a mischievous nature at heart, but learned how to uh maybe put it into better things than maybe where I was at in high school. Yeah, it's funny because I've had uh David Laney, another runner on the on the show, and he kind of had this similar, I guess, answer, you know, a little mischievous and one thing that stood out to me was in, you know, for you as well, because you're, you know, you're a pro ultra runner now. And I always laugh at the idea of maybe younger you or younger David Laney getting into trouble and then like running away from people. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, what's funny though, is I wasn't really running. Wasn't my thing growing up. I played football. I was actually an offensive lineman. So if you can figure that right, like I, I wasn't a huge kid like that you would traditionally think of as like an offensive tackle, but I was I was pretty like stout, pretty strong. And uh, yeah, was one of the smaller linemen, but it's kind of a wild transition to be from that to now 36 years old and running professionally. So, <laughs> man, that that is crazy. You know, obviously any uh, listener can't see what I'm seeing, but if you just look at Robbie, uh, you know, Robbie Ballinger online, you'll see that he clearly yeah. doesn't fit the, uh, your stereotype of an offensive lineman. So 
being a mischievous kid, um, you know, growing up, how did you eventually find your way into running? Yeah. So for me, it was, you know, uh, an evolution over years. I was into team sports growing up, as I just said, playing football. And then after high school, I really didn't know what to do with a lot of that energy, maybe aggression that a young, a young Robbie had uh, once I didn't have football. So there were really some lost years there. Uh, I, I really struggled to find my groove. When I was 21, I, I made the leap and left college and moved up to Alaska. Uh, I went up to Denali National Park for a summer and began moving my body again and really started to feel better, just felt better all around. I cleaned up my diet, but not really, there wasn't much thought to it. It just happened by circumstance. I was, you know, there was no more Wendy's dollar menu around, which I was doing a lot of in college. Um, and then from there, I, I eventually made my way to Austin, Texas, and I got into cycling, but it was uh, more like fixed gear cycling, just riding around town, being a young punk. Most of the rides were to and from the bar. Uh, and then through that time, I was kind of evolving in the restaurant bar scene in Austin, Texas. Uh, at this point, I, at about the time I found running, I was running some restaurants. I was part owner in some pizzerias in Austin, Texas. And at that point, just really putting all of my energy into working and partying really hard. And my girlfriend at the time, who's now my fiance, invited me on a, on a run. She was, she's a runner. She was a runner prior to before I was. Um, and in that run, I, it just, it just stuck. And all of a sudden it was this progression from there of just the distances getting longer. And through that, me becoming more accountable to myself and stepping out of that party scene and more into the marathon scene and then the ultra scene, and then just keeps on progressing. And when you, when you say accountability, um, what do you mean by that? accountability to have a reason to get up before five minutes before rolling into the restaurant. So with that, I started to like running more than I liked being at the bar. And it's really one or the other with that. It's either work, go to the bar, sleep till you go to work again, or it's run, go to work, sleep until you get to run again. And that was just uh, that, that ratio, that pendulum just kind of over time switched over to full fledged into the running. How hard was it to make that transition? Because you know, for me, and I'm not even trying to put myself on the scale of running that you do, but you know, I do, I do run, and you know, I, it, you know, when I was 25, you know, I was definitely, you know, probably trying to close down the bar at night. <laughs> but now, you know, at 35, I'm very much in bed by if I'm if I'm up past 9 p.m. Uh, that's way too late then. <laughs> totally because <laughs> you know I like to get up early to go run especially here in Colorado where you got to you got to drive if you want to get if you want to have some fun in the mountains you got to get up early and drive and so but that transition for me was boosted by being in the military and then kind of just keeping that kind of rhythm for you though when you were having that accountability how hard was it to transition from being somebody who was up probably well past midnight to getting up early and going for a run. Um, you know, it was, it was a less of a like strong cutoff. Like oh, this is something I'm going to do. And it was more, I had just really done that. I had lived that chapter of my life. Like I, I appreciated it. I enjoyed all those times of being out at the bar party and I loved that scene, but I'd had enough of it. You know, I'd kind of just, just been through it and done it all I wanted. So it, it never was, it was never forced. It was just where my heart led me. When it comes to finding, you know, what was in your heart when it comes to running, you know, how did you, yeah, what do you, do you have any specific moments that stand out when, you know, like maybe your first race or maybe, you know, just, it just when you, you had that moment of like, oh yeah, this is where I knew this is where everything up until now has led me to this point. <clears throat> I think I really found that I loved this sport and what I thought, what I was realizing I loved about it was going longer. Like that's really what I've focused on is getting to where I'm going really long distances over time. Um, and to me, it was the first time I broke 10 miles. I remember I lived in Austin, Texas. There's the town Lake Loop that's 10 miles. And the first time I did the whole thing, that sense of accomplishment really stuck. And I enjoyed those last couple miles where I was pushing my limits to get through it. So I think that was really a catalyst. That was a moment. Uh, and then after that, I had ran the Philadelphia Marathon. I was familiar with ultra running. And my fiance and I ended up in 
Silverton, Colorado. It was the weekend before Hard Rock. We didn't know that. I didn't really know what Hard Rock was. I was following some some of the ultra runners on, on social media. And that really did it. That was kind of this moment where everything did switch. And it was like, I, and what, what had happened was I, I grew up a, an only child with a single mother. So a lot of my life has been about this this look into what it means to be a man, trying to define that and understand it for myself because I didn't have a father figure. Uh, and one of the ways that I was expressing that was going out to the bar. I felt like if I was living this hard, hard, rough and tumble life, that was this like stern expression of a man. And the minute I saw these guys walking around Silverton getting ready for Hard Rock 100, I had this epiphany. I was like, holy shit, like that's another version of what it means to be a man. That looks more sustainable. I get to be out in the mountains. I get to do all these things that I think I've aspired to my whole life, but only did as like a weekend warrior. And this gave it some structure and a reason to be out there. And that was really the catalyst. Like that was the moment on the ride home from that trip. I had Shelly look up like, what does it take to get into hard rock? Thinking it would be something I could just like jump into, you know, I think that raised less 250 people in a year. People go for it their whole lives to try to get in. So I was very naive, but it started the process. It thrusted me into a really hard race. I decided that I would do a qualifier for Hard Rock as like my way into ultras. And it was a 50 miler in Northeast Georgia where I grew up. And it was had it was actually 56 miles and it had 17,000 feet of gain. So I just jumped right in very naively, but it all kind of was because of that, that experience in Silverton. I actually uh, just was out in Silverton for Hard Rock uh, for this year's race. Got first time ever being out there, got to pace somebody that was in it. And what a cool race. Yeah. It, it is, it really, uh, it's just this energy that's there. You know, you run into, you know, it, it has become kind of like an elite race. And so it was really cool for my girlfriend and I to kind of walk around and be like, oh, you know who that is? <laughs> right. And yeah. Like, oh, you, you, you run Barclays, right? And all that stuff. And so we've, it, yeah, it, it's, so the inspiration, um, I definitely feel that, you know, I, I for, for one, know that I never uh, would be able to run hard rock, but it is, uh, but yeah, it, it does leave you with this sense of inspiration. Um, so that, that first ultra, uh, what, how did that treat you? Oh, it was hard as hell. It, uh, you know, <laughs> I just, you know, I just did, we were just speaking before the podcast. We saw each other in Leadville. I just finished my big summer effort with the Leadville 100. And I'd say looking back now, the two hardest races I've ever done were that initial 50 miler and then doing Leadville on the tail end of such a big summer of efforts. Uh, and it was, it was, it was a rough day. It, uh, I remember telling my fiance, it's like, okay, it's 56 miles. I think I'll be done in about nine hours and get out there. And it ended up taking me 16 and a half hours. And remember being at about 20 mi 25 miles in, realizing how long it had taken me, how much longer it was going to take me. And I actually sat down like at the, at the foot of a tree and, and I, I think I might've like shed a tear or two. I just like had to have a second of feeling like really bad for myself. And then I stood up and I got it done and I came in top 20. I mean, it was like a really hard course and I suffered through it and there was a reward at the end. Like you just feel so elated and so accomplished and you get to carry that with you indefinitely. So it's, you know, that's the thing about ultra is you pay, you really have to pay for, for the results, but it's really worth every second. Uh, that's so true. You know, it's, um, don't get me wrong. I've, I've thrown myself plenty of pity parties. In the <laughs> right. <of a> race. <laughs> you know, it's a, you know, I had plenty of trail naps had plenty of uh, pity parties and it's just, it comes with the sport. And, um, you know, and I think what you'll, the, the theme amongst most ultra runners is just that transformational process of, especially when it's your first, you know, and you know, first time you've run 50, first time you do a hundred, I mean, hell, even time, first time you go for a run, mm -hmm. it, um, it really, yeah, it really does something to you. Now, when it comes to, I guess, you know, you obviously progressed past that 50 mile and you've gone on to do some incredible things. And um, I might get the timelines wrong, but, you know, you've gone, you know, yeah, we did meet each other out, or I saw you out at Ludville when you were coming through. And, um, you know, you, that was the cap to, I think it was called the Colorado Crush. That's correct. Is yeah. that correct? Mm -hmm. 
Now, and you've done all, you know, before we get into probably everything, I, since that's the most recent, talk to me, tell me what is, what was Colorado Crush and what inspired you to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So the Colorado Crush consisted of three kind of iconic bus, bucket lift, list efforts that people in the endurance world might seek out in a summer in Colorado. So I did the Leadville Trail Series, a marathon in June, 50 miler in July, and a 100 miler in August. Between the marathon and the 50, I traversed the Colorado Trail, which is 485 miles. I did that in 11, 11 days, 11 days, 13 hours. And then between the 50 and the 100, I summited all 58 peaks over 14,000 feet, feet in Colorado, also, also known as the uh, 14ers. So, and then ended it with the Leadville 100. So cumulatively, it was about 1,200 miles of running or or moving. A lot of this is like power hiking up mountains and such. Uh, but the big number that was really impressive to me and what I'm really proud of is it was 308,000 feet of elevation gain over 63 days. So breaking that down, that's the equivalent of summiting Everest sea to summit 10 and a half times in essentially two months. Uh, it was it was a great summer. It was so rewarding to wake up every day and just be like in the wilds of Colorado. I loved it. It was really trying. It tested me and I'm really proud to be done with it and excited to, yeah, to tell, tell others about my experiences there. But yeah, it was a really, really good summer. Um, yeah, real proud of it. What was the catalyst behind it? Just, you know, the same kind of, uh, I guess, motivation for, oh, I said, man, uh, whoever climbed Mount Everest first and he was asked, why did you do it? And he was, because it was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But this is a challenge that you created for yourself. So it's not like, you know, it's, oh, I'm going to go set the FKT, which is just a very structured yeah. way to say, like, I accomplished this. Like, what made you say, like, oh, I'm going to do all these things together? And yeah, what was the motive? What was the, the motivation to do it? Yeah. So, so kind of contextually, in 2019, I ran across the United States. I did it in 75 days, 43 miles a day. I had picked up sponsors for that. I was a sponsored athlete. When that was over, over the next five months, my sponsorships uh, ran up and, or, you know, they ran out and I didn't really try to re-up them. I didn't know what I wanted to do next. I was kind of in a lull uh, coming off of the Transcon, kind of had some depression stuff, just trying to work through, just not really know, not having a lot of direction. Uh, so I let those kind of fizzle out. I was still doing some really cool stuff running um, and through that. I decided I would kind of shift focus for a while and I started working for a friend's startup. It's called Let Us Grow. Uh, Let Us Grow is a hydroponic farm stand that allows you to grow all your produce in your house. Super cool. I'm a plant-based advocate. This felt really in line with me and it was, yeah, it was something cool to do. So I started working for that company in January of 2020. It was very unclear what I was going to do, probably going to be in like marketing, kind of just kind of hype guy, get more energy behind the company as it was getting off the ground. And then COVID hit and all of a sudden we went from a company that was trying to get our feet off the ground to all of a sudden everybody wanted to grow their food at home and things got really, really busy. It was a really exciting time for the company. Didn't really care for my actual role in the company at that time because going from the guy that was out doing events and marketing stuff, all of a sudden our live chat feature and email and phone just started blowing up. So here I was doing that every day. Not that that's a bad job, but for someone who, you know, moves his body pretty much constantly, has his whole life. It was a huge transition. And through that, I just found that with that and all the complications of COVID and our lives kind of coming to a screeching halt, I was pretty unhappy. I just really wasn't really enjoying what I was doing. And then the summer of COVID 2020, I, Shelly, my fiance, invited me to start doing 14ers with her. So we did 25 last summer. And it was just our way to escape, to get away from from everything going on with COVID, we could go socially distance in the mountains. And it was wonderful. And that kind of allowed me to find balance within this job. Well, then winter rolls around, no more 14ers. I just get kind of miserable. And we ended up going for a hike. And on that hike, I had kind of had this idea of Colorado Crush in the back of my head. And I decided at that moment, I was like, I'm going to do this. And it was so it was born out of really a place of necessity, necessity to get back to the things that really feed my soul, and that is moving my body and trying to inspire others through my efforts. Uh, I was really apprehensive to get back into the kind of sponsorship game because 
that initial time doing it, I, for the transcon, it was really hard. I got a lot of rejection along the way, but after having ran across the United States, I quickly found it just wasn't as hard this time. And I was able to get to put together some sponsors that really got behind me and I'm really behind what they do and gave me the mechanism to do it. But it was, yeah. So that's a real long answer to your question, but it's really born again out of necessity, necessity to get back to get back to me. Oh, and trust me. I encourage the, the longest answer. You can give. <laughs> it makes, makes my job so much easier. You know, um, I, there's a few things I actually want to touch on that. And, you know, one of them, you know, going back to, you know, I hope you don't mind, you know, for me, running is definitely a way that I deal with my own mental health issues mm -hmm. and, you know, being diagnosed with, with severe depression, um, you know, running for me over the years has, I, I, and I, and I struggle to call it therapy. I struggle to call it medicine. It just, it makes me feel, it gives me the confidence to be who I am. And, you know, you know, what going across, you know, running across America, you know, one thing that I've noticed in my own self, and I know that a lot of runners have is after we, you know, finish a race or finish like some type of uh, endurance event, you just get, you, you just get sad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you just get sad. And, but for something like running across the country, you know, you know, was that, was that out of the blue for you to, to, to feel that kind of depression or is that something that you, that you've experienced uh, before and knew how to handle? Um, I definitely had my lulls in life, the times of where I really lacked a direction or the, uh, momentum I really wanted to have. And that really brings me down. If I don't, you know, if you don't feel like you're in flow state, it's just, it's, it can be torturous. So I had some experience with it. I remember anticipating it before the end of the transcon, like prior to starting off, even I, I remember being like, I'm sure there's going to be this lull, this depression afterwards. I talked to some people who had done some big efforts. They said it was coming. Uh, but it's one thing to, you know, theoretically know about something and then to experience it. And when I experienced it, I just felt I was a little caught off guard I think a lot of, you know, some of the motivation behind the transcon was to reestablish myself as like this, this runner and find like a way to provide for myself through it. And in that you do something so of such magnitude, you kind of expect there to be like birds chirping at the end and like butterflies and the world's just perfect after that. Well, the reality is, is life's just life and it's going to be challenging. But when you all of a sudden have this expectation that it's about not to be, and then it still is, that was a lot for me to to cope with. Um, so I would think I was aware it could be a thing, but when it actually happened, yeah, I don't know if I really had the tools in place at that time or the, the wherewithal or the foresight to deal with it in a really constructive and healthy way. I would say right now, I'm definitely feeling pretty proud of myself on the heels of that, this big Colorado crush. I haven't experienced that. I think I've set myself up with better tools and keeping the momentum going also kind of doing things like talking to you, um, you know, getting out on my bicycle. It's one thing, you know, one thing of what I learned was it's also a very physical thing. It's a physical mental thing where, you know, we talk about like, think about drugs, right? Like drugs, after you do them habitually for a while, you develop dependence, you develop a psychological dependence and you develop a physical dependence to that drug. Same thing is true for moving your body. Like, you know, you get done with something and you just come to a halt. Well, your body, your hormones, everything is like, no, 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 no. That's what we do. So you need to kind of taper on the backside of it too. So like once the effort's over, don't just go onto the couch, like give it a day or two and get moving your body a little bit. You need to recover and you need to heal, but you need to do something. So for me, I'm riding my bike a lot, it's, you know, zero impact, some new muscle groups, but I get out every day. I whiz around town and I feel like I've done something. I think that's really helping a lot with that as well. It's almost a double-edged sword though, because I know for me, when I'm hitting my slumps, the last thing I want to do is move. Yeah. All I want to do is like sleep, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, okay, handling one thing at a time. Like, you know, it's something as simple as just making your bed. Yeah. You know, just like get up, just make your bed, get up, brush your teeth, but, you know, running for all of us, whoever, any, any physical activity, it, it, especially when you use it as an outlet for some mental health issues, it, it becomes so addicting. And, you know, Reese, I'm thankfully just recovering from a broken foot from oh, earlier yeah. this year and it's the longest it's the longest i've been out of the game running um you know four months or so and it was like 
I, there's such a noticeable change in my overall mood um, when I no longer could run and, you know, it was like winter and I couldn't ride my bike and all this stuff. So, um, yeah, so movement is, is incredibly, uh, in, incredibly key to, I think to any kind of, um, at least post post race, post, you know, mid depression slump. Totally. One thing that stands out about you. And then one thing that I really appreciate, uh, not just like the, the resume, the running resume that you have is just that you're also a vegan athlete. Mm-hmm. And you've you've done the you you did uh, you know I, I'm sorry I, I I keep calling running across America because I'm all about to mix it up because my girlfriend just did Trans Rockies oh yeah and, and that's I'm fine too I I, I, for, I for some reason it went with Trans kind of long but running across America works just as well I think they both are interchangeable <laughs> the, yeah, <laughs> the, the, the the run across America that you did um, and you know this this recent Colorado crush. You know, you've done that as a vegan athlete. And I think everyone, anyone out there who's listening would think that, like, how on earth would you be able to do this on a vegan diet? So what my first question is to you is why? <laughs> and second question is how? Yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as the why, my why started very much along two pillars of what I would say there's three for any any reason somebody would choose to go vegan or plant-based, however, semantics, whatever you want to call it. Um, is environmental, health, and ethical, right? Like those are our three pillars. For me, the performance health side of it was what first kind of spiked my interest. As a runner, I read Scott Jurek's book, uh, Eat Run. He's, you know, he's this amazing ultra runner, probably one of the best of all time. And he's been vegan the whole time, way before the fad of, of it was, you know, as it was com- becoming more, you know, in mainstream. And that book really kind of started to nudge me in that direction. Um, I, again, was in restaurants. I sold my shares in my restaurants in Austin, Texas, walked away from that, moved to uh, Denver for my fiance to go to nursing school. And in that, it was the first time I hadn't worked in a restaurant or a bar since I was 15 years old. And so it was the first time I had freedom over to make all of my food choices. So we really started to experiment, went vegetarian, and then was really jumping into getting close to, to, to being hundred percent plant-based. And then in that, I also realized how important it was environmentally. Like, uh, as an individual, one of the biggest things we can do to help curb climate change is to adopt a predominantly plant-based diet. And those two things together, I was like, okay, if this is making me feel better, my performance is better as I, as I've started this transition and I know it's better for the environment, why would I not adopt this? And that was really what it was born out of. And then when I ran across the United States, the whole point of the run was to create conversations about better food choices and promote the efficacy of a plant-based diet. Uh, in that, I was still pretty new to this. You know, I, I hadn't even been plant-based a whole year, but I really believed in it. I believed it could do something really positive for society and for, for, to help curb climate change. And along the way, what I learned was, is not only was it that I could do it and be plant-based, being plant-based was the reason I was able to take on this run. And that really comes from a place of not having any inflammation in my body or very little. Meat causes inflammation. Inflammation causes soreness. That's one of the biggest things that's going to stop you from jumping back up and doing another big run day after day. Eliminating those animal products, I feel lighter and I don't get sore. That's a huge part of it for me. And then there's this other part of just energy. It's clean, good energy. And when you are running 43 miles a day for 75 days straight, you're using all the energy you got. So if you can have a diet that is less laborious on your system, plants take less to break down than say meat or dairy products. So if my system's not working as hard to digest it, it leaves more energy for my legs. And those are really kind of fundamental anecdotal kind of kind of things that really spoke to me and what I really started to learn through pushing my mileage longer and longer while being plant-based. Um, so those are kind of the main reasons. It really went back to that and just feeling really worried and scared for our planet and really not the planet as much as us, the inhabitants on it, that we are going in the wrong direction. And if I can, through just adjusting my food choices a little bit, make a major impact, well, then I'm going to do it. 
That's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, my head is already spinning with all these other questions. But one thing I want to point out is what you just said, you know, and it seems like, you know, it's taken on, you know, the choice to be vegan at first was an athletic choice. Um, and, you know, it was selfish in that sense that it was for you to be a better runner. But now it's taken on a much more um, progressive kind of approach to like, you know, air quotes solving climate change. Mm -hmm. And I really, really admire that especially more so because one of the previous guests on the show, um, Megan Haney Greer, who's a free diver and has a brand out there called the Imperfect Conservationist. And her message is basically like the changes that you put in your life uh, on a day-to-day -day scale, you're not going to solve climate change <laughs> on your own. But making that small one choice, you know, day-to-day, 1% improvement, as a collective effort, that's how we get to remediating climate change and everything like that. Now, being vegan, you know, for something like Colorado Crush, was it being vegan all the way through that or vegan just only during training? And then when, because I'm just trying to wrap my head around what you did for Colorado Crush and not eating everything. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, no, yeah, no, I'm 110% like plant-based. I stay away. I, I, I do adopt a full vegan diet. Um, you know, I, I often talk about being plant-based more than say using the words vegan and it's semantics, but it really goes to this idea. It's a reason, the one of my reason for it is I like, don't really like to preach absolutisms. Like I'm absolutely 110% in this, but the more that we can all acknowledge and identify that the less animal products we eat, the better it is for the environment right? So better is better. And if we can just start instilling that in everyone, and with each choice, each time you go to the dinner table, you get to make a decision for everyone you make in that plant-based decision, like way, again, better for the environment, better for everybody. Um, but so going back to your question, though, no, I, I don't eat any animal products whatsoever at any time. Um, it wasn't, it's really not hard to achieve. Like if you can always cook yourself like, you know, and I was out doing these efforts. I eat just like every other runner. It's gels and bars. They just happen. To, they just always don't have plant or animal products in them. And then meals wise, I had, there's this camping meal called Outdoor Herbivore I love. And a double portion of their meals has 1500 calories. So like finishing that off at dinner, it, you know, I was, I was, I was eating a lot. I wasn't eating near as much as I did on the transcontinental run, but it was enough to sustain me, keep me healthy. Uh, and then if you want to go out to eat, everywhere has got a veggie burger now, or at least a Beyond Burger. I'll tell you, I was over burger, vegan, like veggie burgers by the end of it, because that's about all most places in Colorado have. But you can find it. You can eat it. And French fries, potatoes go a long ways. Potatoes are kind of like the superfood, right? Like they'll, they got everything you need as a runner. Um, so lots of those as well. But um, I'm always, I'm always plant-based and um, it works for me. I travel before COVID was traveling around the world, doing all kinds of fun stuff. and it wasn't really, you know, cramping my style too much. Yeah. Thankfully. Um, yeah. Thankfully it's becoming more and more easier to be, to be plant-based. Uh -huh. And I think, uh, you know, another, you know, adventure, uh, challenge you went on was down in Peru. And when I was in Peru, at least it was incredible. It was incredibly surprising how easy it was to be plant-based mm -hmm. when I was, when I was down there. And for the two months that I was down there, it actually, I, I also, you know, I had noticed a huge change in just my overall physical like well-being by being plant-based. Now, unfortunately, I'm going to be the first to admit that like when I got back to, you know, you would think of all places, Boulder, Colorado, that it would be easy to maintain it. It was actually really, really challenging. Um, well, you're back to your normal foods, right? You're back to the things that you associate with happiness with. And, and it's easier almost at times in a foreign a foreign land, right? Like for me, it was easy doing it moving to Colorado because I no longer had this long list of restaurants that I loved in Austin that I would have to like just sit back and not enjoy anymore. I was in this like clean, fresh palette and or canvas. So I was able to like adopt new, like new places I liked and things like that. Yeah. And I, there's no doubt that that played a role. Um, you know, it, I think also, it just was a different quality of food when mm -hmm. I was down there too. Cause I was, for the most part, I was just bumming around the Andes. Nice. Uh, and so a lot of the food that I was eating was to my knowledge, like as local as you could get. And it was, yeah. I mean, it was simply, it was the potatoes. It was, um, 
you know, potatoes are huge down now. <laughs> and, uh, but as far as like getting back here, it was, you know, it was not only, it's not, it not only habitually hard to change, but I also just found the quality of uh -huh. the food was really hard to adopt for myself. Um, but it is something that I, you know, I just, I, I think that I definitely agree with you on is it's like eating for a better planet. Yeah. And, and I, and I think that there's a lot to be said by somebody like you and people that are out there that are doing it um, for that environmental reasons. Cause it's, you know, it's kind of heartbreaking at times if you let yourself open that can of worms to look at how much of an environmental impact, you know, having that like one burger mm -hmm. might be or something. And so, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, I just have a lot of admiration for people that make those dietary choices like you and especially do the things that you do. <laughs> um, so when it comes to, uh, you know, doing those things, what's on the horizon, you know, how, how do you, how do you cap off Colorado crush <laughs> without having your, your, your eyes set on the horizon to the next thing? Yeah. Um, at this point, everything's like very theoretical kind of floating in my head. Uh, I'm not really sure where it'll land. A lot of the things I do, I kind of keep to myself until pretty close to when I do them. Cause there's kind of like a level of like intellectual property to it. Cause they're like, they're unique, you know, well, running across the United States, not completely unique. I was about the 330th person to ever do it, but like the Colorado crush, that was very unique. I set the FKT for the central park loop challenge, most loops around central park in a day. Uh, and that one hadn't really had much conversation around it until I went out and did it. So not exactly sure yet what I'm going to do next. I'm really excited. I'll be leaving, um, in two weeks to head to England to help crew and pace. One of my, my best friends, William Gooch, he's doing a challenge called 48 and 30. He's running a marathon in the 48 counties of England in 30 days. So I'll be there for the second half of it, the last two weeks. Uh, really excited to do that. I'll probably be lacing my running shoes up about that time so that I can get out there and run with him and keep him company. And it'll just be nice. Yeah, English countryside for two weeks of running while my buddy just pushes his brains out, like <laughs> just for, you know, one of our abstract no reason challenges <laughs> just, 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 just for funsies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think one thing that's, um, it doesn't get touched on a lot is that crewing aspect. Yes. And I just got into crewing this year, mainly before this year, I always looked at like a crew and a pacer as kind of, I don't know, just as a, a black box, it always just seemed like, well, why, you know, they've got aid stations, they've got, you know, you know, how far you need to go, like, and how fast you need to go. Like, why do you need someone to tell you how to, like, how you know you need to pick up the speed? When it comes to someone who's probably at your level, though, what effect does having a crew and a pacer have on the running that you do? It's the foundation. It's fundamentally, you know, it's 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 part. It's as important as me being out there doing it. Um, in my all of my efforts, I would say I lean on my crew so much, whether it's emotionally or like for actual physically to help me along the way. Um, and a lot of it, time it comes down to that, right? You're in your head for so long you just look forward to seeing those people that support you and you love and they love you. Um, that's a huge part of it. But, you know, running across the United States, I, I've always tried to refer to that in any of the decisions made, the experience, I always say, we, we decided I was going to do this. We went from here to here. We adjusted the mileage at this point. And it was because it was a team effort. It took, it took a village to get me across the country. I always had three to five people with me. Um, and when you put yourself in that much of physical stress and strain, your mental acuity drops a lot often. So having somebody there to make call the shots and yeah, just be a, something that you can rely on and have confidence in is, is all the difference. And then also like I've gained a massive amount of respect for those that crew and pace me off of doing it for others. Um, you know, off of my transcontinental run, I actually went to England at that time as well to help the same friend, uh, William do joggle, which is John O'Groats to Land's End. It's uh, from the top of the UK to the bottom. It's 885 miles. William did it in 16 days. So I was, that was my first launch into this multi-day crewing pacing thing to find like it might be as challenging, if not more challenging than doing the deed yourself. Because like William was running for upwards of 20 hours a day. We're up for an hour on either side of it to get him up, put him to bed. 
Next thing you know, we just weren't sleeping at all. So I gained like a profound amount of respect for the crew pacing side of things then. And then this year also uh, mentored and assisted my good friend, Hella Sidibe, who just ran across the United States um, and getting to, again, experience it from the outside looking in. Yeah, just profound amount of respect and love and admiration for all those people that selflessly give to my efforts when they don't get to be in the limelight for it. But I wouldn't be anywhere without my fiance. I'll tell you that. Like, she's always there. She's the best crew. She's also one hell of a runner herself. So if she tells me to get up and get going, like, I know she's done it before. And yeah, it just keeps you, it keeps you in it. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's key to have that, that level of accountability. Um, like I said, my my girlfriend, she's a far better runner than me. And she's done some things that like, you know, when she was doing Trans Rockies, which uh, for listeners is a six day stage race. I think it's over like 120 miles or something here in Colorado. Sounds like an awesome race. Oh man. <laughs> it, it's one of those where it's like from afar, at least for me, you know, she would, you know, we, which she would have uh cell service and she would, you know, we'd kind of catch up like the, at the end of the day and, you know, and I'd be track, hopefully tracking like the phases that she was in and looking at, you know, I'd have my, my morning, you know, I'm about to go on my like eight mile run and I'm looking at hers and it's like the, you know, 23 <laughs> with like all this gain. And I'm like, I can do eight. Right, yeah. <laughs> I can do eight. <laughs> very, very humbling. But, you know, but yeah, but it's good. Uh, so you, uh, your fiance is a runner too. Does she do, does she have her own sights set on something like Colorado Crush? So she, her distances have always been a little bit shorter than mine. Um, I'll tell you like a good example would be when I was, when I was preparing for the transcontinental run. I one of a part of my training regime was I did a lot of 50 milers and 100 Ks back to back. I would do one and two weeks later do another one. And I did this for like four months. And along the way, Shelly would come with me. I'd run the 50 miler. She'd sign up for like the, the shorter race, anywhere between a 30K to 50K. And sure enough, every single time we got done and she had podiumed, it was either she won, you know, she was the top female. Uh, or there was a 50K where she actually just flat out beat all the men and women. And then down in the Copper Canyons down in Mexico, running amongst the Tatamara Indians, best runners in the world. And she came in third in the marathon. So she's a, an amazing accomplished runner. She's been dealing with some injuries the last two years, but is setting her sights on a marathon right now and then a 50 miler in January. So she's, she's getting back into it for sure. Whoa, 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 wait. She ran down, like, we're talking born to run, Terahumara oh, yeah. kind of tribe. She went down there and took third. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We went down. Uh, so that race has always been a, a point of inspiration for me. That is when I was down there. I've been twice. The first year I went, I is where I came up with the idea to run across the United States. There were some, some influences down there that just pointed me in that direction. I came home on my first run around Denver. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And was just really inspired. Then fast forward a year later, it was two weeks before my transcontinental run starts. We went back down there. And I, my fiance, Shelly, didn't go that year before. So we went down there with her family and my mother. We actually got engaged the day before the race. And then we tow the line of the race. I do the 50 miler. She does the marathon. She podiums. I like crawl through the finish, like barely get it done. Uh, yeah. So she is, yeah, she's one, she's an excellent, she's an excellent athlete. <laughs> yeah, and that's, will you guys have some sort of a running themed wedding? <laughs> I mean, we kind of have to, right? Like we've definitely, we've definitely had many iterations of our wedding and somehow running always ends up to be part of it. If it's not just a group run after, yeah, it, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's, that's awesome. Um, kind of going back to like the mental health issue. I think it's all, you know, for me, my, you know, I, I have my mantras that I stick to. I have, you know, I think everyone, has some variation of one foot in front of the other and like aid station to aid station. But I'm curious, you know, what goes through your head when you're going through something as epic as running across the United States or doing the Colorado crush or any of these things? Like what, you know, what, what does your inner voice sound like? Um, a lot of what I try to do is compartmentalize things down to the moment in front of us. Just that what you just said, one foot in front of the other. Don't think about the bigger picture. Keep it in small, manageable chunks goes a long ways for me. Um, but, you know, I think it's that's where a lot of the growth happens is through that process of 
the ebbs and flows, highs and lows that we get in in running, especially in ultra distances, um, and just facing those demons head on. And a lot of those demons are, for me, based around uh, feeling in insufficient. Like maybe I'm not good enough to be doing what I'm doing. Who do I think I am? What is this? I'm dragging so much. I'm hurting so much. Who do I think I am that I should be doing this? And then you break through and you have this moment where you feel really good and there's a high and it just reassures for you that all that negative talk isn't worth a damn. And it's better to just like get on with getting on and have confidence in yourself. But you're always going to get back there again. But that's it's just it's like reps with anything, right? Like if you want to go work out, you do reps. If you want to run, you run day after day. And so putting yourself in challenging situations that make you have that those thoughts and, and, and processing negative thoughts, you get better at doing it every time. And so for me, that's a lot of the beauty that comes out of this sport. Man, that's so reassuring to hear. I'm, so, I'm sorry. It's just so reassuring <laughs> to hear, you know, that you're someone like you who also had, it's like, and it's, uh, you know, the only phrase I can think of is like imposter syndrome sometimes. Oh, absolutely. You know, you, just, you, know, you go out and you run. Yeah. And it's, you know, I don't know about you, like I do have a Strava account but like i i cannot look at it yeah like i just i, I use it for for whatever purposes mainly to track miles like during the week to see how many i've done but like i like i when i open the shava app I, my muscle memory is immediately to like close down yeah. the you know the the social part of it basically because it's like i i can't see what everyone else is doing especially here in colorado you know i can't i can't you know, I, it just gets really hard to not have a very comparative kind of mindset when I see things like that. So I'm sorry, but it reassures me to hear that someone like you also <laughs> has that, uh, you know, like who who am I mentality sometimes. Um, when it comes to like thinking about where your life would be without running, what, how, how like, what do you think you, what do you think your life would be without running is probably the the question I'm searching for. I think I, I would feel much more lost and not comfortable in my own skin. Uh, I think those are things that it's given me a lot of is finding my way through through times where I was ready to give up ways of life for new ones and it 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 morphed into what that thing was, but that was part of that exploration. So I don't know. I, I'm sure I wouldn't have as healthy of an outlook on life or, you know, the stability that I feel right now. Um, and for me, a lot of that's based out of, you just hit on it about being primal, right? Like a lot to me, for me, a lot of my struggles of anxiety, depression, feeling sad and out of place come from, well, what I just said, feeling out of place, feeling a little bit like something's off, maybe a feeling of, things are going to fall apart. And when you run, I believe we were born to run. I believe in the moment you start doing that, it kicks in from such a primal like DNA level that lets me feel whole and stable and like I'm enough. And being able to take those feelings, bottle them up and carry them on to the rest of your life are just so vital to feel good about myself. I need it for self-esteem issues. Like really is just like, I want, I, like who has ever said, like, I wish I didn't go on that run. No one. Like every time you go for a run, you feel better afterwards. And I think a lot of it's, yeah, just clicking into something so holistically perfect. Like running hits everything. It hits everything I need to feel good. Man, that's beautiful. And I think, you know, that's probably the best way to wrap up uh, the conversation that, you know, it, it really, again, the theme of this show is it matters to me. Um, and, you know, it's not, you know, running that answer, you know, I think explains so much more than you're just being a, a sponsored athlete or achieving uh, something for, for the, for the record book. Yeah. So um, I really appreciate your honesty with that. Absolutely. Can but, I touch on one thing though, as you just yeah. mentioned and, and talking about mental health and stuff, um, you know, and you said sponsors, I think it is really important for me to point this out, especially on a podcast that has to do with mental health. Um, well, my biggest sponsor for this event was called Newcom. And Newcom is really cool. And anyone that deals with anxiety or depression, it might be something worth looking into. It's, um, it's a three part system. It's binaural beats. So there's an app you put on headphones, 
put on an eye mask and a small patch on your wrist and the patch uh, signals for your brain to start releasing GABA. So essentially you lay down with this and your brain clicks into alpha and theta waves. So as an athlete, what this does is it allows your body to start restoring on a cellular level. Your parasympathetic nervous system is allowed to take over. Like our like alpha theta waves is where we go during deep meditation. So you just automatically click into that spot. You can do tracks from 20 minutes to 120 minutes. And again, restorative, really good as an athlete, but also really works to lower your anxiety, lower your stress. It's really worked for me profoundly. Like and anyone interested in checking it out, if you go to my social media uh, on my Instagram, there's a link on my profile. It'll take you to like a like a, a landing page. It'll tell you all about it. But it's really cool, and it's really cool speaking to people that are thinking about mental health. I think it's it's worth checking out. And questions, or you try it, and you want to tell me how it how it treated you, just like reach out to me on social media. It's super cool. No, oh, I guarantee. As soon as we're done here, I'm gonna. Go on, <laughs> go yeah, 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 and I and I and I'll absolutely make sure I include that and in you know you know links to your social media and everything in the show notes. Um, I think that's yeah, that's a really really cool, um, you know, yeah aspect because mental health it just it's not like it's um, it's not like it's not a, a well known topic so totally. to speak. But I but I think it's it's just so important to keep talking about it. Because you never know who who is that one person out there who still has apprehension about be, being open with their mental health. So I'm a huge advocate of being about, open about my own mental health and, and hopes that just like just that 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 you know that one person might feel a little bit more comfortable about that. But I think that's really really cool. So I will absolutely make sure that um, it gets in the show notes and, and anyone out there who wants to check it out can. Awesome. Um, well, Robbie, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you know, like I said, this is, uh, I've been a huge fan uh, of your running career and I, and I think the message that you're putting out there is just, it, it really speaks a lot to, um, who you are as a person, but just also it resonates with a lot of people. And so I just want to say thank you for doing that. And thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Ah, oh, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it, Ed. All right. That's a wrap for this episode of the It Matters to Me podcast with my guest, professional ultra runner, Robbie Ballinger. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to his social media websites and anything else that we talked about during the show. Also, if you have a minute and you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review and sharing it with a friend. And if there's someone you think I should have on the show, please let me know by writing an email to adam at itmatterstomepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And until the next one, this is Adam Casey signing off.